0: Snuggle up by the fire and listen to a ghost story. Don't pay any heed to the howling wind outside or to the creaks in the floorboards. Don't let the footsteps in the attic or the shadows cast by a flickering candle trouble you. Strange shapes are crawling out of the dark. Something ominous is knocking at your door. Chains are rattling in the cellar. Of Christmas are gathering. It is time for the Midnight Carols. Chapter 1 The Venerable Order of Saint Nicholas of Myra
1: It is difficult to pinpoint the exact moment when unease and trepidation turn into fear if the object of that fear is not obviously before the eyes impressions gather beneath the surface of consciousness a tangled mess of perspectives memories and sensations gently stirring just beyond the reach of the mind's rational faculties it may take some time before the accrued impressions form a distinct emotion Even before reaching the point when the mind realizes that something has happened, such notions can keep even the stoutest soul on edge. We habitually ascribe, either by mistake or by a trick of the imagination, some horrible meaning to banal events. A dark shape turns into a lurking murderer, or gusts of wind sound like ghostly moans. But it is my experience that, too often, we fail to notice the horror that hides beneath the veneer of triviality this lesson i learned on christmas eve when i was an undergraduate since that night i've spent every christmas in anguish though nobody ever suspected it only years later would a small toy soldier remind me of the seasons magic and wonder
2: I found it in the regulations the other day. And that's the gospel truth.
3: Uh, Why don't you do it then? Collections are next week. Why don't you put
2: your money and your reputation where your mouth is? Uh, You don't understand. This rule only applies to end-of-year examinations. isn't required for collections. Wearing the full fuss wouldn't make any difference. I've been exceedingly clear on that matter.
3: Ah, that's what I thought. Either you admit you were trying to wind me up,
2: Or you're just a coward. Any candidate presenting himself at the examinations wearing the full fusk attire shall be entitled to a glass of sherry.
4: I've heard that too. Oh, but don't forget your sword, or else the Proctor will fine you a shilling for a breach of decorum. Don't you have anything better to do than arguing about regulations?
1: Edith wasn't an excitable individual. In all truthfulness, I had always considered her as a rather dull creature whose main saving grace was her belonging to the fair sex. I greeted her warmly, hoping that her presence would suffice to deflect the conversation away from the arcane technicalities of academic dress. If I had known the repercussions of what she would propose, I would have left then and there. I can't deny that I felt a hint of unease at her eagerness and elated expression. I dismissed my impressions as a result of an uncharitable assessment of her character and focused on what she had to say.
4: I found it. I can't believe I found it after all this time.
1: What did you find,
3: darling? The proverbial needle in a haystack? Did you finally find your
1: feet in your degree?
3: As long as you don't find me wanting, I won't complain.
1: Even Robert's puns didn't detract Edith from her excitement. She waved her hand to dismiss his question.
4: The book. I found the book this morning. You barge in
2: here, interrupting our inebriation to clamor that you found a book? You should have asked sooner. I would have shown you to the library. Rumor has it that they've got plenty of books there. Imagine that
1: edith remained unperturbed by my friend's attempts at humor as for me i knew better than to try interrupting her i wanted the conversation to end and i had half a mind to walk back to my room to get some rest sooner rather than later
4: not a book i found the book the admission ledger of the merry gentlemen the most venerable order of saint nicholas of mira Don't tell me you've never heard about them. It's one of the university's most exclusive dining societies.
1: I shouldn't have been surprised. Secret societies, dining clubs, drinking groups, and other coteries of snobs were Edith's obsession. Since she wasn't exactly some kind of socialite, I supposed that her fascination stemmed from the aura of mystery surrounding them. For months she had wearied my ears with tales of the Black Signets and the Halcyon Club or from gossips about the Grid, the Piers Gaveston Society, and L'Ancien Régime. She knew all about the different clubs' ties and waistcoat colors, silverware collection, secret liquor stashes, archaic hazing rituals, and so on and so forth, and I, being cursed with a good memory, remembered most of it. The Merry Gentleman, however, didn't ring a bell.
3: So what kind of secret club would that be? Do they indulge in the usual debauchery and intoxication? Or do they pursue more intellectual
2: pastimes? I hope it's the former. I can't stand playing charades, especially in ancient Greek. It's terribly passé.
4: Oh, none of that. But I don't know much about the Merry Gentlemen at all, to be perfectly honest. They've been rumoured to be defunct for decades, if not more. I suppose my investigations into the matter of dining clubs and drinking societies must have attracted their attention, because a note regarding membership to the Order of St. Nicholas was left in my pigeonhole. I followed the instructions provided and found the book, hidden in a remote area of the Radcam stacks.
1: How can you tell that it wasn't just a prank?
4: You wouldn't say that if you'd been there. The book is thousands of pages long, names after names of aspirants going back decades and maybe centuries. I didn't have time to examine it in detail. It felt wrong, somehow, to read the names and check the dates of all the candidates, like I was trespassing on private matters.
2: Why, we should pay a visit to the stacks and check out this wondrous book of yours, Edith. I might even put down my name as a candidate. Who knows?
4: Impossible. The note was clear. Once found by a prospective candidate, the book is quickly moved somewhere else. I suspect it stays hidden until there's an opening. Anyway, I already wrote down all our names. We should receive an invitation to the induction dinner quite soon.
3: And what makes you think they would admit a woman in their ranks? With a name like Merry Gentleman,
4: it
1: seems like a long
4: shot. (sighs) You'll see.
1: I was none too pleased about Edith's initiative and didn't shy away from expressing my disapproval. She remained unfazed and dismissed my concerns. The opportunity, she assured me, was just too good to pass up, and there was no doubt in her mind that I would thank her later. As for Robert and Algie, they didn't seem to care one way or the other as long as they could resume drinking. With the end of Michaelmas' term looming... I forgot about my unwitting application to the most venerable order of Saint Nicholas of Mira, and devoted most of my time, not to mention all of my energy, to the avoidance of any form of study. I was drenched and exhausted after a miserable rowing
2: practice. Stepping into the lodge, I greeted the porter and checked my pigeonhole. The sudden appearance of my classics tutor rushing through the lodge distracted me for an instant. He reminded me that he was still waiting on my latin translation and brushing off my muttered apology with a hand wave issued a loud acta non-verba before disappearing i noticed the porter's half smile and thanked the gods there were no other witnesses glancing at my pigeonhole again more by habit than anything else i realized it contained a note i could have sworn it was empty less than a minute ago and nobody could have slipped past me without me seeing them I found the letter on my bedstand one morning. It was written on
3: bespoke station, embossed with a golden crest. Unfolding it, I discovered a short invitation, penned in an elegant, if somewhat old-fashioned handwriting. The pleasure of my company was requested at the induction dinner of the Order of Saint Nicholas, on the eve of Christmas, for a night of mirth and merriment.
4: The dinner would take place in the old library. On the first floor of the Hawksmoor building in a nearby college, the privileges of full membership would be bestowed on a select few at the conclusion of the evening. I had finally done it. I was, well we all were, about to join the happy few.
1: No more queuing for Ents, going to bops with the hoi polloi, or mixing with the populace at formals. Not that I minded either way. The whole process seemed to me nothing more than a convoluted way to pass the time. It just so happened that, for reasons unconnected to the events related in this account, I wasn't planning on spending Christmas with my family that year. During the weeks immediately before and after the end of Michaelmas term, the city centre is always buzzing with activities. At night, flocks of students in evening wear flood the streets to attend Oxmas dinners, gaudies, club drinks, college pub crawls, rowdy crew dates, and a wide variety of social gatherings. By comparison, I found the streets completely deserted on Christmas Eve. My friends were waiting for me under the pallid light of a lamppost. Squeezed in his tailcoat, Robert was shifting his weight from one foot to the other. Algy seemed even thinner and more gaunt than usual with his black cape and his top hat. Edith gathered the folds of her fur cloak about her.
4: Chop-chop, we're almost late. I don't want to spoil our chances to become full members. And please, for goodness sakes, try not to embarrass me tonight.
1: A doorkeeper was standing near the back gate, clad in black velvet and seemingly undisturbed by the cold. He didn't say anything as we approached him, and offered no greeting, but showed us inside and pointed towards the quad. A rather ominous welcome for a Christmas party, don't you think? All part
2: of the pageantry, I assume? It wouldn't be a secret society without some measure of mystery. Uh, Personally, I think the trail of blazing torches is a tad excessive, but...
4: Can't you behave yourself for a minute? The Order of St. Nicholas hasn't recruited anyone in over fifty years. It could be a momentous occasion for us, the highlight of our time in Oxford.
1: I had heard stories about secret clubs, tall tales of hazing ceremonies, claims of wine flowing out of fountains and naked dancers performing all night. The least I expected was a modicum of debauchery and intoxication— But what I found instead was a typical senior common room with deep leather armchairs, countless portraits of benefactors, a cold open chimney, and a large dinner table. I can't see anything.
3: I don't mind dining by candlelight, but this is going too far. We're practically walking on each other's toes, and I can't even make out any of your faces. Is it supposed to be a dinner party?
2: I need to see what I'm eating. It feels more like a wig than a dinner party, if you ask me. I expected something more titillating, or, at least,
1: some of the mirth and merriment that the invitation promised. I was pondering over the practice of purposeful sleeplessness and its variations, from waking the dead to celebrating Christmas Eve, when I felt Edith tugging my sleeve. There was a stir at the other end of the room, followed by a wave of whispers full of eagerness and anticipation. A faint orange light was dancing in the corridor. Unease swept across the room when the procession finally emerged from the door. First came the torchbearer, a diminutive young man with curly hair holding a burning piece of charred wood. A small group of students followed him, carrying a huge log on their shoulders and swinging from side to side.
4: Would you look at that dress? It's incredible.
1: I was used to seeing people wear strange academic garments, but I had to admit that I had never encountered anything even remotely like this. The man's headdress looked like a crown, but it was made of dark brocade embroidered with gold and adorned with jewels. He wore a long mantle, open in front and decorated with gold cloth and silver threads. His crooked staff was carved and clanked against the floor before each step. That's ridiculous.
3: Why can't we skip the nonsense and go
1: straight to the part where we eat and drink after walking around the room the procession stopped in front of the chimney the log bearers placed their burden in the hearth and arranged themselves in a half circle behind their oddly dressed leader the air was heavy with expectation and the attendees seemed to be holding their breath i glanced around and thought that we looked more like a congregation awaiting their priest's sermon than a rowdy gathering of students What was the collective noun for students i wondered a pandemonium maybe or a hullabaloo but edith squeezed my hand interrupting my musings they began to sing together if it was a hymn or a carol i had never heard it before i couldn't make out the words they sounded like ancient greek but the mournful melodic line made it difficult for me to understand yet strangely a deep-seated sadness overtook me as if I could understand the song on some innate level. I fought against my tears as the choir rose to new heights. Next to me, people were sobbing. The last notes were still echoing in the room when the torchbearer heaved the charred piece of wood above his head.
3: In the dark night, a bright star shines In the cold storm A warm fire burns In the long silence We remember From the last sleep of death We shall wake
2: and
1: rise The torchbearer placed the burning piece of wood in the hearth, and soon a joyful fire was crackling in the chimney as candles were lighted and various trays of food and drink were being carried from the kitchens. The feast was a far cry from the rampant hedonism I had expected from a clandestine drinking and dining club. Everything was perfectly adequate, but it was nothing to fret about. Robert, for one, seemed to enjoy the traditional dishes. Are you going to eat your root vegetables?
3: And the Yorkshire pudding! Look at that beauty! If that's the kind of food we can expect, count me in. Beats the college grub, and no mistake,
2: there's even Faguan seafood.
4: I wonder why none of the people who were in the procession are eating anything.
2: They're probably saving some room for dessert. Either that, or
1: the food is poisoned.
4: Oh, don't be silly. Can you pass me the wine?
1: After a large serving of pudding and some mince pies, I indulged in a glass of port and a snuff. Some of the candles were already out, but nobody had cared to bring any more. I let myself sink in one of the leather armchairs near the fireplace, thinking that, even if my application was to be unsuccessful, I'd had worse Christmas parties.
3: Friends of the most venerable order of St. Nicholas of Myra, my fellow merry gentlemen... Friends of Christmas, faithful members and aspirants, it is my most distinct privilege to welcome you tonight, as we are about to honor a timeless tradition. The fire has been lit, and while it burns, we shall eat, drink, sing, and tell stories. "'Each aspirant will be asked to contribute with a tale of their own. "'Remember that once extinguished, the flame shall not be revived. "'Until the
1: morning.'" He began calling out names of applicants, each of whom was required to entertain the company with a story, a ghost story preferably. I must confess that I had trouble paying attention to what was being said, Part of it was the pitiful efforts of my fellow applicants, but it would be disingenuous not to acknowledge the influence of food, wine, and of the comfortable warmth emanating from the fire. Most of the applicants couldn't tell a proper story to save their lives. After a while all the ominous premonitions, ghosts rattling chains, ghoulish apparitions, and voices from beyond the grave seemed to merge in my fuddled imagination— I remained in this state of sweet torpor until I heard Algy's name. He rose to his feet, tall and gaunt, with his usual flair for the dramatic. He had this special quality and attractiveness that people call glamour, and as he was beginning his tale, I was reminded that this word used to mean magic.
0: Chapter one of The Midnight Carols featured Michael Garamoni as Montague, Carmelo Viviani as Algernon, Kristin Holland as Robert and the Celebrant, Elizabeth Plant as Edith, and Peter Coates as the announcer. Sound design by Jamie Stoffer from JLS Audio. The Midnight Carols was created by Vincent Robert Nicou. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week for the next episode.